Hello and welcome back to Control-Alt-Delete. My guest today is the wonderful Madeline Dorr. She is a writer, an interviewer, and she's exploring how we can broaden the definition of a day well spent in all of her work. Her book, I Didn't Do the Thing Today, is a gentle, wise, and insightful look at how to let go of productivity guilt. And it's out now, and it's a truly wonderful look at how we unravel the relationship between our output and our inner self-worth. Madeline's excellent writing is interspersed with lots of other wise voices on this topic of productivity culture. And this book really helps the reader feel less anxious and stressed or disappointed or feeling like a failure if they don't have the best day ever. And it really takes productive routines off a pedestal and it helps us embrace the messy middle parts of life and of work. For the past five years, Madeline has been asking creative thinkers on how they navigate their days on her popular blog, Extraordinary Routines, which I really recommend checking out, and her podcast, Routines and Ruts, where people talk about the highs and lows of their creative output and how they spend their days. She's such an interesting, brilliant, creative person who really interrogates how we want to live and how we want to work and really what is enough and why we put so much pressure on ourselves. So I hope you enjoy this conversation and here it is. I am so excited finally to have Madeline Dorr on the podcast. I loved your book. I have it in my hands. And can we just have a moment for A, how amazing the cover is. I'm mm. sorry for people listening. Go and go and check <laughs> it out. But it's called I Didn't Do the Thing Today on Letting Go of Productivity Guilt. And I've had so many people message me saying, I need this book, I need this book. And it, it's out now and I just wanted to say I absolutely loved it, first of all. So congratulations. Oh, thank you so much, Emma. It That means a lot to see it in your hands. And the cover is by the very talented EVO. Um, and I just feel like I need to kind of straight back to you. Thank you for the books that you've given me. And Sabotage in particular was very, very resonant. And oh, we're going to have so much to talk about because I think the two are so <laughs> beautifully interlinked, aren't they? It's so, so true. And it's so exciting when you discover a book that really taps into what you've been thinking about in this. And I also discovered so many other people in this book, which is what you're so good at. The curation of voices is amazing. So I wanted to start off for people that don't know your work. You have an amazing project that's been going on for quite a while called Extraordinary Routines. I've been following it for a long time. And you really are such an expert in people who have routines, the highs and the lows of it, how you get yourself out of ruts. But I wondered, I've never asked you this, where did that come from? Why have you always been so interested and and obsessed with this topic? Oh, I I think it really stemmed from, and I'm sure many people can relate to this position of just feeling like I didn't have a grasp on the day. I didn't think that I was getting it right. I felt like I was behind everyone in my career. Um, I just couldn't figure it out. And I thought that there's that beautiful Annie Dillard quote, which is how you spend your days is how you spend your life. So I thought, well, here I am a bit confused, a bit muddled. If I find out how people I admire go about their day, maybe I can then copy paste and figure out my life. Um, So that was the, the curiosity was really stemmed from trying to understand how people do things and and what that looks like day to day. Um, And so I was someone who was putting routine on a pedestal, but it wasn't quite working for me. And so I thought that this project could allow me to kind of put the pieces together. Um, But very quickly, I found that 
there wasn't a recipe that I could follow from anyone. And actually speaking to the people that I admired helped me to see that they too didn't feel like they had it figured out. They compared themselves as well. They procrastinated. They got stuck in sort of perfectionism spirals. And I'm sure very much like you discover with all of your wonderful guests, it's it's those moments of connection with the the fallible human <laughs> humans that we are is is actually what ended up being more inspiring. So it started with looking for a secret and then I very quickly found that there isn't one. And instead it became more about looking at these shared stumbles and looking at what we were tripping over, um, what these themes were and what was getting in this pursuit of productivity, what was sort of, why were, why were we tripping even more over that? Why was this obsession with productivity actually hampering our productivity in many ways? Yes, it's so true and it's so fascinating. And I've seen you online doing some talks around different routines from the past and these crazy ones where it's like someone who would famously only work with a hangover or someone who famously only used a certain type of pen or someone who I don't know had to have sex in the morning for writing or like whatever it is and I wonder <laughs> why we are so obsessed with that is there, is there anything that you've done that seemed quite extreme at the time where you were trying to test the waters because I've definitely fallen into the trap of getting up earlier, even though I'm a night owl and feeling like the routine is the answer when actually, obviously it's everything else. Mm. Yeah. I think that like so many things, we want there to be a cure. We want this thing that we want a solution. I think that's what's so appealing about all the productivity hacks and, you know, the routines that we see, um, you know, like, five top tips to like optimize your routine and all of that. I think it's because there's something that where there's this gnawing part of being human and it, there's this sort of, I guess, a void in us in many ways. And we think that here's this thing that's going to make us more productive, more successful, richer, prettier, um, happier. And it seems so simple if it's like, oh, if only I could get up at 5 a.m., all of my life's problems will be solved in that thing. Mm -hmm. um, so I think maybe that's the appeal of it is this, oh, there we go. This is the answer. But the thing is that we can, if we make that the, the cure-all, it can kind of continuously evade us because I'm telling myself that I'll only be happy and successful when I'm someone who gets up at 5am. That's so easy to sabotage. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and it means that I'm perpetually postponing my life until I become this person that might not be who I really want to be. Maybe getting up at five in the morning means that I am grumpy all day because I'm sleep deprived and, and maybe that's actually causing far more harm than good. Yeah. Um, so I think, yeah, I think maybe that's the appeal of, especially when, the, you know, the more outlandish, I guess, the more it seems promising in, in a strange way. Yeah, it's so true. And I mean, you did the project and you still do, you, you've worked on it for so long. And it's fascinating, but when was that moment then that you thought, I'm chasing the secret and it doesn't exist because you, I mean, you, you started in 2014. Did you realise kind of early on, but you still wanted to explore the topic or was it literally like a light bulb moment of actually, I, I'm not finding an answer here? Mm. I don't know if there was a light bulb, actually. I think it was, I think it was maybe it was this accumulative thing of people I was reaching out to, to speak about their routines. More and more people would say, Oh, thank you, but I don't have a routine. And so there'd be this kind of little whisper of like, Oh, but I don't really have one. And so that really surprised yes. me because 
um, I, I thought, well, we're putting, everyone's putting routine on a pedestal, but then secretly not sticking to it themselves. And so I thought that that was kind of an interesting thing. And that that's maybe what made me see, well, here's these people saying that they don't have one or every day is different, or there's an ebb and a flow, or there's more of a rhythm than a routine. And I thought, oh, well, then I can embrace that as well. Then if these people don't need, you know, discipline or rigidity or, um, you know, a, a perfectly ordered day to still get things done. Maybe my higgledy-piggledy ways are fine as well and it's about moving with them than right, trying to squeeze myself into a, a, a box that's not fitting. Yeah, and I still mm. love talking to people about routines because sometimes there's like a tiny nugget of what someone said mm. that I can then apply to my life. Like I know that you talk about Oliver Berkman a little bit in this book I feel like those two books could be like brother and sister and um, this slightly younger yeah. sister um but it's like I things that he's he's said I have put into my day but not every day just sometimes it's like a little mm -hmm. bit of armor in my toolbox that I can go oh yeah he said to maybe chunk your time into three hours so that you can let the chaos um take over in the other hours and like things like that have really helped me but I don't have routines and I always found that on podcasts or in interviews where someone would say, tell me about your routine at the beginning. And I would just, sometimes I've actually lied because I felt so embarrassed mm -hmm. about not having a routine. I would, you know, I wouldn't make something up completely, but I would take a day that went well and sort of say that I did that every day, but I didn't. <laughs> mm, I think that's what we're doing, aren't we? We're, we're putting the ideal as the, as the thing where it's like, that's, those days are great because they're so rare. You know, those days where it's everything's sort of gliding along and you're ticking off the to-do list, they feel wonderful. Um, but perhaps because they are, you know, once in a blue moon, but um, yet we, we expect ourselves to meet that level of productivity day in, day out. It's it just, that's the thing that I think letting go of that was a sigh of relief, I think. But here I am bursting to know your routine, Emma. It's, it's, it's something I just don't think I'll be able to ever be able to put down because, yeah, to, to, to know how you've, you're so prolific. There's a weekly, would you say there's like a weekly rhythm for you with, to keep up with everything? This is the thing. And it sounds crazy because I was actually out at a book launch the other night and someone came up to me and she was like, how, how are you writing so much at the moment? And I, and to be honest, like for me, it seems quite slow because um, I've been writing my next novel for like two years. So it's not, it's not quick, but I, I, I'll tell you in a minute what I was about to say, but I, I read a piece a while ago on The Real Simple, I think, and it was by Taffy Brodessa Ackner, the amazing author, and it was called How I Thrive in Stress and Chaos. And it was basically mm -hmm. her saying, I write so much, but it's always chaotic and it's always stressful. And she enjoys that. And she was like, actually, I prefer that to kind of the uh, sitting down with a candle and doing my routine thing. And I read that article and I felt so seen by it because I don't have a routine, but what I do do is I write on my phone when I'm at the bus stop, I'll email myself an mm. idea. Like when I get out of the shower, I'll like write really quickly into my phone. I'll go for a long walk and then sit on a bench and like write things down. And I find that there's no routine and it all comes out in little pockets of time. Yeah, that's wonderful. It's like the time confetti um, and how using those little Bare moments of time all add up and sometimes that can be stressful when we when we flip it too far and we think oh we have to use every single spare moment but we also can go the other way where we think that we need this long stretch of time like the whole morning or the whole day or two weeks to write 
a book or what have, have you, but actually it's just those little pockets of confetti that we can yeah, collect. Yeah, it's true. But I also feel lucky that I might be in a stage of my life when I, where I'm not blocked. I'm not creatively blocked at all. The fact that I can get out of mm. the shower and write things down, like for someone else, they might get out of the shower, have a really great idea and something else is stopping them. It's not the internet or their journals or their pens or their laptop that's stopping them. It's something else, which I guess is why I wrote Sabotage, because I still have those Mm. days for sure. Um, I love in the book, though, that you talk about how we're all a bundle of contradictions. And and I love that you sum that up so well. Do you think that's what you're kind of getting at as well is we are so different day to day? Yes. Yeah, exactly. I think that's what we overlook. We overlook that we as individuals vary. We have different sort of, so as a human being, our health will vary, our attention, our focus, our energy, how well we slept the night before, whether we're having sort of an interpersonal conflict and that's weighing on our mind. There can be so many things that can sort of mean that we're showing up to the day differently, but we're also showing up to the day differently to the person next to us or the the person that we might be comparing ourselves to on the internet. Um, And then the day itself kind of brings all these variances externally that can kind of blindside us and, you know, unexpected things happen. And so I think that there's, there's so many variances that that perhaps this sort of these blanket rules or this, um, this sort of very narrow description of productivity overlooks, and then we can wind up turning that back on ourselves and falling into self-recrimination when really we're being set up to fail by this, expectation to be consistent and linear and, um, you know, almighty really to kind of deal with all of those interruptions. But, um, and then we ourselves are contradictions. Like I feel that, you know, if we're not changing our minds and we're not really growing, um, and I think that, uh, yeah, you know, a routine might work for us for a little bit, or, you know, we might thrive off the chaos one moment, but then sometimes need to turn to more structure. And so think of allowing ourselves to change our mind or being that kind of contradictory, messy, um, you know, even the space of doubt can just be really powerful because we don't know everything and we need to keep experimenting with what we need and discovering ourselves, I suppose. Yeah, for sure. Because you really tap into that guilt. It is guilt, isn't it? This idea that Mm. I failed today because I, because all the conditions weren't in my favor. And it's so true. I mean, even the seasons hugely affect me. Sounds really cliche, Mm. but if the sun is out, I'm going to have a better day. And if it's cold and this winter has been just, I mean, probably quite good for my productivity, if I'm being honest, because I'm like in a little cocoon. But mentally, I don't think I'm producing my best work because I haven't really felt that happy because it's grey outside. So it's like all these things play into our output. And on that sort of, um, you know, on the tagline of the book, letting go of productivity guilt, you really spell out in this book, which I love, this connection and relationship between productivity and self-worth and it's just crazy that that is a thing in society they're so tied together aren't they Mm, yeah it's it's really become this synonymous synonymous thing and I think a lot of that um it's so complex and complicated but this internalized capitalism that we've we've taken on in terms of what we do how we do it who we do it for the accolades the hours um it's worn as a badge of honor and it's it's a way to prove our our worth sometimes just to ourselves to you know so much of this is a silent thing in many ways is productivity guilt this kind of 
shame at the end of the day and, and, and deeming the day a failure because we didn't get perhaps a specific thing done or, you know, a, a very long list that's not realistic to begin with. Um, and yeah, it's, it's turned back on ourselves as, as we are failures because we didn't do the thing. And it's, so it's all about the doing. Um, and I, I think that that does stem from being in a society that is very individualistically focused and disconnected, beautifully spoke to that as well. Um, but also, you know, being privy to other people's lives 24 seven, um, and, going through a pandemic as well, I think has amplified all of this. What is a day for when so much is uncertain? Um, and what are we doing it all for? And what is enough? And we don't even know what productivity is. It's also murky. Like, is it how much you work? Is it that epiphany that you had that might've just kind of come to you after a lazy day, but yet you solved a problem that you're on for months and months. So it's, it's really hard to define in the the parameters of murky and I think we're all a little bit adrift in it all yes yes and it's so funny isn't it the books even on rest can sometimes kind of say rest more and then you'll be more productive it's like everything goes Mm. background to being productive and actually I don't think many of us do know how to do nothing because sometimes on my days off or my holidays I come back going oh I'm so refreshed I can do more and everything's kind of for that outward goal but then I had a question because I feel like there is a trend as well in books that sort of are quite anti-productivity but then I do still want to make things and be productive so I'm kind of Mm -hmm. in this weird like limbo where I'm like no I definitely want to rest more and I definitely think productivity is quite toxic um but I also feel like I've got so much inside me that I want to get out and I want to create uh, so how where do you sit with that? I think this this is very much back to that idea of the contradictions. I think this is the greatest tension and it's so difficult to define when are you resting, when are you just being and when are you when does that seep over into procrastination or sabotage or inertia? That is such a fine line and it's such a tension. I think that's what I'm really grappling with. And I think what the book tries to sort of look at is that adding on a layer of guilt either way doesn't help the situation. If you're resting or if you are sabotaging and you're procrastinating in a way that is, you know, again, procrastination, I think we both agree has its purpose um, and can be really enriching and um, can make sure things have enough space and thinking time. And that's very valuable. But when's it seeping over and and when is it that we need to do the thing? Um, So I think that it can be really tricky to identify, but I think that when we're adding on the layer of guilt, it's preventing us to do the things that are inside us that are really, really meaningful and the things that we're bursting to do. Um, I think those things, that's what gives life meaning and color and texture Um, But we still put so much pressure on those things too, because, you know, you can feel it when it's all bubbling up and like, will I be able to do the things I want to do in this lifetime? Like we have this limited time um, and that can be really confronting because what if we don't get to everything? And so Oliver Berkman speaks to this so beautifully, but there's this sort of really acknowledging our limitations um, and acknowledging that there's still so much inside of us, but we're not doing ourselves any favors when we're creating huge expectations out of that and we're trying to do too much even if it is the things that we want to do 
or if we're trying to do them perfectly or we have these grand ambitions, it all sounds really wonderful, but is it helping you actually do the thing? It's actually kind of a distraction. So it's not helping you get those wonderful things that are inside of you out when Mm. we're over planning or we're being a perfectionist or we're comparing ourselves to other people or we're lamenting the fact that we're wasting time. That's not helping. So I think that it's clearing all of that aside then we actually have the space to do the things that are meaningful. I think that um, that's maybe where you find yourself in a space where you're unblocked. That's so it because I still want to do the things, but I want to do them with more flow and more ease and enjoy them more. And my friend good friend who is also used to be my literary agent she would say to me so much you're so hard on yourself she would really pick Mm. up on it she'd be like you are doing enough like okay you have to do another draft of the book or it's not quite there yet or but that is there is no need to do the thing and then make yourself feel bad that it's not you know, a million other things. And it's really something Mm. I'm working on. So it's, yeah, it's almost like I want to create, but I don't want, I don't want the guilt. That's, that's, that's the whole thing. That's why I loved your book so much. Oh, thank you. I think it's those timelines we put on ourselves too. Um, Things are going to take a lot longer um, than we think. So, oh yeah, I think it it can be that the hardest thing is clearing all of that aside. Yes. So I wanted to touch on two quotes from external voices that you quote in this book, and it is full of so many nuggets of wisdom from you, obviously, and from other voices. And I just love that because I got to go on a little rabbit hole into Googling loads of other things. And it's really fun. It's so, so good. So one of them was... um, Ralph Waldo Emerson, who I'd never heard of before, but he says, finish each day and be done with it. I wondered, is that something that you apply to your life as well? Because I'm going to apply that to mine. Yeah, it's so funny because I've I've long been a collector of quotes. Um, some of my favourite presents when I was nine years old from my parents were like quotation collection books. I love And those. I had like the Oscar Wilde's quotes and things. I've like, I haven't actually read a full like novel or play by... I've read a play, but yeah, just the quotes. <laughs> um, so I, the Ralph Waldo Emerson, it was a quote that I've been familiar with for decades, but I um, revisited it when I was putting together the proposal for the book. And I thought that is productivity guilt. That's the thing that that's the remedy for it is that, mm. okay, you didn't get to the thing. Maybe you didn't finish it. Maybe you didn't start it. Maybe you had your priorities shifted in the day. Um but the day finish the day and be done with it so that you don't carry it over and lament all the things that you didn't do yesterday and then fall into this productivity guilt spiral. Um, and so I think that that was really resonant. And I think you can apply it to the hour that you're in, like finish, maybe you've been waylaid and maybe there's been, um, I don't know, a delayed commute or whatever it might be, a, a hangover in the morning. There can be so many things that can creep up into the day. But if you finish that hour and be done with it and meet the next anew, that's when you can move into it without the guilt. Like that's again, just like trying to get that out of the way. And, you know, I don't want to be too hard on guilt because guilt can be a wonderful guide. Sometimes those days where I've put something off 
I need to feel that panic um, to then sort of wake up early the next day and get it done. So sometimes guilt can be like, hey, you actually really need to be doing this. But um, I think finish the day and be done with it is is a thing that we could apply. Apply it to the hour, apply it to the mistakes, be done with them, move, learn from them and and move through. Yes, yes, that's it. It's like use the guilt if you need to, to push you forward in that moment, but let it go. Mm. Don't sit in it, don't wallow in it. And I think mm. that's what I really got from this as well is like, don't let things carry over. Don't let that guilt kind of go into your whole week. Um, so I love that. The other thing was, Tim Minchin, who I love, and I didn't know he had mm, any advice on, on this, which is great, um, about micro ambition. Would you be able to just talk about that for for, for a little bit? Because I, I, th- I think that's just so practical. People will love that. Yes. So this is uh, borrowed from Tim Minchin's commencement speech. So you can look that up in full and it's, it's a real gem. And he speaks about how he's never been a fan of long-term goals. So instead, he really advocates for the creation of short-term goals and he says to be micro ambitious and the idea is that you just focus on the step in front of you bit by bit um, and instead of having these lofty ambitions that are so far set in the future that if you fixate on them you're actually going to miss what's at your periphery right now and often it's the periphery actually I think always it's the periphery where we find connections where we um, see opportunities where there's so much to be curious around about around us. And so being micro ambitious is having ambition, but make it small enough that you can see it all and that you can change if you need to. I think that's what can be quite stifling is having these goals that we actually grow out of um, and we don't, you know, change along with them. Um, Ryder Carroll, who I also quote in the book and interviewed, he's the creator of the bullet journal method sort of likens our goals to being like lighthouses. Like they they light the way, but they don't you don't go towards the lighthouse. That doesn't take you anywhere. So I think those two go hand in hand really beautifully in terms of, yeah, just focus on this next step, um, make things really small. And interestingly, when we are micro ambitious, it means that we're not completely daunted by this big giant task that we've set for ourselves. Um, we can just move with it um and make it make it doable to ourselves so i think it's it's twofold it's reminding us to be open to things around us but also to not be so daunted by big things in the future Mm. yes they do go so hand in hand actually because that's just made me feel even more relaxed about the fact that like i know what i need to do for the rest of today i know it's the end of the day for you now so it's quite funny talking about time (laughs) and routine i'm sure we're in reverse but it's I like, can say that it's it's a great day. Like I've got to the end of it. It's beautiful. Had a swim. You'll you'll enjoy it. For the listeners, Madeline is currently in Australia, and that is why we're top and tailing the end of the day. But it's interesting, isn't it, that we can get ourselves in such a panic about what what's coming up. And I used to do this. I used to look at my diary, and now I think, what on earth was I doing? Because it's all perspective. It's all I'm stressed about the perspective. I'm not stressed about my actual life. I'd sit down and look at what I was going to do in two months and start worrying about that. And it's like, Mm. all I can do is today and all I can do is the next hour. And there's something about that, about the bite-sized pieces that is just so relaxing, like physically. I'm like, oh, you don't, I don't have to think too far ahead. But I wonder if in this culture of productivity, of job promotions, of climb, 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 we're always told to look into the future of where do you see yourself in five years time? And it's like, hang on. It's a beautiful 
tension, isn't it? Like, because we need, we do need people to be ambitious to tackle the world's problems as well. You need to have a very ambitious big picture. So it's again, always finding that balance. Um, And then there's this beautiful, something I think about is um, Debbie Millman's 10 year plan exercise, which is really interesting where you sort of become really um, like imagine there was no restrictions on what you could possibly dream for yourself. And then you write it all down and you get as detailed as possible um, and you put it away in a drawer. Um, and maybe that's the thing is that you can have these sort of have ambitions and try to sort of paint a paint something to, to move towards, but don't hold it so tightly, I suppose, is maybe the thing is like dream, but put it away so that you can focus on the periphery. Yeah. And the thing with the, the five-year th- plan is I understand why people would want to be, have a vision because I sometimes do this with mm. like, I visualize like what I want my 40-year-old self to be like. And that's so important mm. to be like, what do I want? But I find mm. that if you don't check in with yourself regularly, you can kind of wake up in a year's time and be like, oh no, I'm not doing anything that I want to be doing. Whereas if you're checking in really frequently, I just find that I'm just always like, knowing I'm on the right track but it's it's really really Mm. hard to do um but I love this I love the fact that there's so much nuance in the book and I and that's really what my favorite books do is the contradictions the nuance the the ebbs and the flows and and really we're talking about so many different things all at once and I love it um the other thing I wanted to finish on was this trap of busyness the fact that it is still seen as some sort of badge of honor that someone's busy 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 I see it with my friends all the time and I'm like you do know that that's not impressing me your busy busy schedule um <laughs> why do I have not- Shania Twain come to mind <laughs> you don't impress me much <laughs> but how do you personally sort of push back on that if you're you know you've got the book you've had the book coming out there's a lot going on do you still struggle with that a little bit is there anything you can impart any wisdom mm. Um, wow. I think that I've gone so far the other way, (laughs) perhaps like you, it just doesn't impress me. It's, it's, what's interesting is that, um, rather than impressing us, I see the the stress that it's causing a lot of people, the, the, the busyness hamster wheel. And it's, it's, it, it can be kind of contagious in that sense as well. Um, but we assume so much busyness in people too. So it's interesting. I'll get an email and be like, I know you're so busy. It's like, I'm actually not that busy. Like I've I've got a very manageable workload and I'm, I'm kind of having this dreamy period. Like it's, it's funny that we project it. What's really helped me is recognizing the own, my own ebb and flow with it. And in the book, I speak about this as the sponge metaphor, and that is that I think that we're like sponges in that we need time to absorb things and we need to think and we need to find inspiration or maybe that looks like research or maybe that looks like rest um, and all the different versions of that. Um, and we need to do that because we need to have something to squeeze when we're, when we're ready to. And that sort of speaks to that fine line that we were speaking about because if you absorb too long, that becomes inertia and you become a, a soggy sponge. <laughs> and so it's finding finding that. And, and I really recognise within myself um, not to perpetuate that sort of you need the rest to squeeze, but it, it, it helped me see that I think I'm someone who needs a very large amount of time in that absorb period. I, I think that that's where I spend a lot of time is in the thinking. And I used to judge myself for that and call myself lazy when actually it was, I think I need a lot of rest and I'm not someone who's a mile a minute and I'm not someone who thrives off being really, really busy. 
all the time because I just can't keep up. Getting curious about all of that, I think, is is the key and um, allowing for space. I think it can be so scary to do nothing. Um, and I'm in that right now in many ways. Oh, well, thank you so much for sharing that because I think it shouldn't be c- courageous to do that, but I think it is. I think to say, no, I'm going to push back on this culture and I'm going to take some time and I'm going to work in a way that suits me, which I have always tried to do, but it's like people kind of make you feel guilty for it and they make <laughs> you feel you know, like that you're opting out or that you shouldn't be doing X, Y, and Z. And I think that's why this book is so important is because you're, we're we're really having to say to the culture and to the productivity um, gurus out there that actually there is another way. And, you know, I still have it now where I'll have a day where I'm just doing nothing. And like my husband, who I love very much, but he'll be like, oh, you're not, you're not doing anything today. And I, and it's like, he's not judging me, but I can tell he's like, oh okay because it's it's strange sometimes to just say to someone I'm doing nothing today and it can make other people Mm. feel uncomfortable um and so we need to do more of it we need to talk about it more I think yeah and have long stretches and it's I think it's all it's really interesting because it's very entangled in not only what we're doing and finding what's enough there and saying this is enough or I can do nothing today or or for a week or for a year we can we can untangle and it's also it's it's entangled with like how much money is enough and how do we money and time and that equation and I'm I guess trying to explore that myself in terms of having more time in lieu of you know having how to stretch out that and I think that that's that's an interesting thing too because I think all of this is entangled success and money and time and yeah trying to figure out what control we have Mm. And on that on that note, I suppose on on how we're not all f- in a fixed state and we're not all the same person every single day is like I took two months off last year, or was it the year before? It's all rolled into one during the <laughs> pandemic, but I took off quite a big space of time to do nothing, and it was felt like a big deal to me, even though it shouldn't be really. But it was amazing. I really recommend it to anyone if you can, if you can take like a chunk of time off. Um, Oh, it's just so good. But then this summer, I feel like I've been in my house a lot. I feel like I've not been doing lots of things like outside the house, obviously, because of everything that's been going on. So I basically said yes to like every single book event all around the UK. And my summer (laughs) is looking very busy because I'm going to go and do talks. I haven't done them for like years. And that's like such a conscious decision. That's not me going, I'm so busy, I'm so busy. It's like, do you know what? In this state of my life and in in this year, I want to fill my diary in a different way. And I just feel lucky that I can make those those decisions. Yeah, yeah. It's it's trying to figure out what is with what is our choice to make and where do we have control and where can we exercise that? I think that that's again a very nuanced thing to speak to. But um I think we can have times in our lives where we're more closed. And that serves us and we can have times where we're more open and that serves us. And sometimes, you know, you can be, you need to learn to say no. And sometimes you need to learn to say yes. And it's all just forever changing. So I think sometimes we need more absorb. Sometimes we need more squeeze. And maybe it's just asking ourselves what it is that we need instead of just defaulting to busy. Yes, for sure. And I guess the overarching caveat to this whole conversation is like, I just hope that we live in a world 
soon where more people have autonomy over their own lives because mm-hmm. it is possible but it's not the reality for for a lot of people still and I just find that really disappointing that our workplace has still got such a grip over people yeah and that's why I think so much of this I would love to see it in the hands of managers and leaders because I think it would have a beautiful trickle down if people um manage people according to their ebb and flow and took a more creative lens to the the working day rather than productivity that's very narrow and difficult to define as we've spoken about. So I think that that could, um, if, if, if we start finding our own way and then maybe we can be inspiring, inspiring other people to do the same. Yes. If you're a manager or a leader, go and buy a copy of this book. (laughs) If you work somewhere and you want it to change, go and leave a copy in the office bathroom. (laughs) <laughs> this is <laughs> a good my this is my um yes what I want people to do but thank you so much for your time today I really love this conversation so so much I hope one day we get to meet in person and you know do this so that we actually see each other in full 3d but um I really enjoyed that thank you so much thank you Emma and thank you for all the work that you do and the nuance that you bring to things and I just I yeah can't thank you enough for the amount of conversations that I've been able to listen in on thanks to your wonderful podcast and your writing is wonderful as well. So thank you. It's an honor to be. Thank you. And, and just before I forget, you also have a brilliant podcast called Routines and Ruts. That's correct. Yes. yes. I got that the right way around. Um, <laughs> so that is really excellent. So if you want more of this, go, go and check out that as well. So thank you. Thank you.